This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hello, hello. How are we doing? Hello, welcome to the Guna Talk live show. I'll tear her out, right? Yeah? No, thank you so much, everybody, for coming. Really appreciate your time. I'm sorry that we couldn't bring you the result yesterday. Trust me, I was sitting on my sofa fuming at that result. Obviously, because I'm an Arsenal fan, mainly because I knew you guys were coming to the show today. And I really wish we could have delivered you a result that would have been so much better. But we're going to have a bit of a therapy session. We're going to talk all about it and more. And I want to introduce you to my guests this evening. First of all, he's the other half of the Canton and Simeon show. He's the leader of the Chronicles of Aguna and a BBC Radio London commentator. It's Mr. Harry Simeon. <laughs> you got to keep the applause going. It's a long walk. It's a long walk. <laughs> anyway. Next up, we've got a Sky Sports news presenter, someone who knows plenty about Brighton's training ground from his amount of deadline days he spends there reporting, but he is beyond all else a massive Arsenal fan. Can you please give up to Mr James Green? <laughs> Keep it going. Next, we've got the queen of the Arsenal Gogglebox series and someone who basically listens to Joey Barton's podcast so you don't have to and takes the absolute piss out of it. It's Miss Laura francis Kirk. And completing our panel this evening, the, again, another leader in the Arsenal women's footballing world on the Arsecast, but also a massive part of the Arsenal Vision podcast. We're very happy tonight to have Mr. Tim Stillman with us tonight. Take a seat. Again, a massive thank you to so many of you for coming out tonight and listening to us. Uh, we are going to start with the awkward elephant in the room, which is Porto away. Um, yeah, I wish we could, but we can't. Um, uh, Harry, I'll start with you, mate. You didn't really think we were going to talk about a loss today, did you? No, I have to be honest. Um, I didn't think we were going to go there and blow them away, though. I know a lot of people were looking at it and going, Arsenal scoring a shitload of goals at the minute and Porto are Porto and they're not the Porto of 
2004 and we'll be fine. But yeah, I, I was surprised at how poor we were. You know, we, we didn't create anything, not a single shot on target for the first time in, in what is it, two years. Yeah. I was really disappointed with the performance, I have to say. But I think Porto deserve a lot of credit and I don't think they'll ever get as much credit as they deserve because the, the instinct is to go, well, let's point the finger at Arsenal and, and ask why they didn't win. Well, we are going to point the finger at Arsenal quite a lot, actually, um, because there was, I think, plenty wrong. To, well, why are we laughing at that? What's wrong with that? <laughs> we are. <laughs> well, I mean, Laura, in terms of what Arsenal went wrong with Arsenal yesterday, where are you kind of pointing fingers? All over the place. I don't think you can point it at one player. I think ultimately they just didn't execute a plan. I think from the minute one, they were sloppy with the passes and it's really un-Arsenal to, to essentially be set up like that and completely fail in all areas. It was just it just looked like a team that had nerves, um, you know, lots and lots of players that just didn't do what they normally do on a weekend and what they haven't done in recent weeks. So I think it's quite hard to kind of diagnose exactly what went wrong. But what I'd say is just nothing went right. You know, we had a couple of chances. If Trossard bangs in, then it's a different game. But ultimately, it was just it was just a really poor performance from pretty much everyone, um, and certainly not what I expected to see. James, you're pulling a face. Pretty much everyone. <laughs> it was, honestly, sorry, it was, right. it, was, it was one of the worst, sort of most boring games that I've watched. And I think a I lot of that boring, was, but, you know. But as Harry said, where's the credit for Porto? Porto did a job at Arsenal last night. It was unattractive. It was utterly boring. It was painful at times. But they did a job at Arsenal. They stopped any rhythm that Arsenal could get throughout the game. They've watched what Arsenal have done so successfully, certainly since the turn of the year. And they disrupted it at any possible point. Now it's down to Arsenal to figure out a way around that. And Arsenal didn't learn. It showed their naivety, showed maybe a lack of experience in Europe. And that was ultimately the thing. I wouldn't necessarily maybe go as harsh as you, Laura, and say it was horrendous. I just think Porto disrupted that and made it very, very difficult for Arsenal to play. But it's all right, it's half-time. It's fine. It is half-time. Um, the disruption absolutely was there, but the expectation, or what you were talking about, of how we expected Arsenal to turn up, and, and they didn't. Tim, how do you pinpoint a performance like that after seeing five games where you scored 21 goals, blowing teams like West Ham and Burnley away? Is it just because this is a different beast, or is there more to it than that? It's, it's a little bit that it's a different beast. I do think that like European away games have a different cadence, it's not like 4-4 time. And uh, I, I used to watch a lot of Copa Libertadores and like this was like a Libertadores game. This was like the pitch was junked up intentionally. The, the, away t uh, sorry, the home team junked the game up intentionally. The referee was very obliging. But at the same time, like you've kind of got to find ways around that. I do also think that like essentially Arsenal only really made... They made a couple of errors in injury time, which w weren't major, major errors, but they got punished for them enormously. And I do wonder how different the conversation would be if it had just finished nil-nil and we'd have just come out and said, actually, we weren't great. This was a really horrible game, but we've got a nil-nil and we're coming back to the Emirates. And I think we have a massive part to play in the second leg to make sure that Porto can't do that again. So that if they try to do that again, we're, forgive my industrial language, up the referee's arse very, very quickly so that they can't do that again. It does seem, Harry, almost like Tim's saying, is that playing in Europe is almost like a different sport to us. In the Premier League, 
We moan about referees, goodness me, do we moan about referees all the time. But they do, it seems at least, give the game more of a chance to play in the Premier League. And we go to Europe and you see these decisions given quite often. Is it just a lack of experience, as we were talking about before? Is it a lack of being able to adapt to it? How do we deal with the differences in you, Europe? You need to be adaptable and, and as players you learn, don't you? And we've got a few players in that squad that have won the Champions League, but we've also got a hell of a lot that are playing in it for the first time. Um, you talk about you know, the referee. I thought the, the bit that really got on my nerves was the set pieces. Every time we had a corner, you know, we've been using blockers from corners all season. And in the Premier League, you'll get away with it. But some of those Porto players, it was as though there was a sniper in the crowd. And literally, the, the minute there was any contact, they were down on the ground. There was one where the keeper, he, he went down and he was down for ages and it was his own player that stepped on him. Yeah. And I'm like, literally, there was, it was a masterclass in housery from Porto. Um, so that was one side of what they did really well. But the other side of what they did really well, it's the only bit of credit I'll give them and then we can just talk Arsenal. But I thought that, I think that what's been really good about us in recent weeks is that we've been able to work that space in between the lines again, which we stopped doing for a little while, maybe because we just weren't on form. Um, what Porto did was a really great job of making sure that when we move into that shape where we kind of got a front five, where Odegaard and Havertz join in with the attack, they shut off the supply into that area of the pitch. And the gap between their defence and midfield at times was minimal. There was no space to operate. And the worst thing about it for me is not that we've lost this 1-0, because I do think we'll turn it around. The worst thing is that Eddie Howe would have been watching that last night. And given the way they turned up at the Emirates last season and just defended, he'll be rubbing his hands together because Porto showed them the blueprint of how to stop Arsenal. I think actually Newcastle showed Porto the blueprint last year. Maybe, was, yeah. <laughs> and, and they executed it, as you say, perfectly. Now, Laura, you said it was... Was it horrendous? Is that the word? Yeah. Oh, did I say horrendous? Was it the worst yeah, Arsenal you've ever seen? I don't think I, I think. said horrendous, but okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Moving into more Arsenal spheres because, you know, James is looking like a semi-Porto fan tonight of how much credit he wants to <laughs> give. <laughs> but in terms of like the actual performance of Arsenal and, and the issues within it, Erdegaard seemed to be, I know he looks frustrated up there, the brightest spark. Is that probably fair to say? He looked the bright, but they stifled him so well. Yeah, and I think I will give credit to Porto here. He is... Again? Our, I tried to move it on. For, but <laughs> I will give uh, Porto their dues here. He has obviously been our main man for the past couple of weeks. So presumably when they've been watching us and the videos and things, they've gone, right, the way to shut down Arsenal is starting with Odegaard. Um, I think what was frustrating is that we, we kept trying these like balls out to the left with Martinelli. Um, some of the balls were just not, not good enough, um, but we just kept trying it. Um, and as the game went on, you just thought, we're going to we're gonna have to adapt here. And it, we just didn't. Um, and I think for me, it, it sets a bit of a warning for the games that we've got, got coming up that if plan A is not working and, and Odegaard's not pulling the strings like he normally does, we need to be able to, you know, do something different. We're not going to have games like West Ham and Burnley all the time. We've got to go to Wolves. You know, we've, we've obviously got Newcastle at the weekend. Um, we can't just rely on Martin Odegaard as good as he is because teams will go... He, you know, he's the puppet master for Arsenal. And we, if we shut him down, Arsenal haven't got a plan B. Um, I think Porto did that really well yesterday. No, they did. Um, no, we will give credit to Porto. They, they did really well to shut that down. And I think that, by the way, appreciation for another slideshow. You know, you, you get him at 8 a.m., but at a live show, we're getting slideshows as well. I think um, Jakob Kivior, who is obviously pictured here, James, is a player that I personally think a lot of people underrated very quickly. 
came in from Spezia, 20 million pounds. I mean, doing the January transfer shows, people saying we shouldn't have sold Lionel Sosa and he should have played instead of Jakob Kivio. I think he's done himself an absolute credit in the last few Premier League games. And to be fair, I still thought he was one of the more sprightly players on the night. But what I would say is that the whole defence, and maybe in part the whole team, looked quite tired. Now, Mikel Arteta played the same 11 for the third game in a row. I know a lot of fans, and I think a lot of you guys as well, would have liked to see maybe one or two tweaks in the 11, potentially. I certainly wanted Jorginho maybe to start this game. We lack depth. Sweet heavens was the joke I used because they were both on the on the bench. I like that. That was a good one. But in terms, probably your best tweet ever. To be yeah, fair, I agree. Uh, I, um, we've got you. about seven likes. I wasn't really. You know, <laughs> but yeah, there's two right here. <laughs> <laughs> Did Arteta make an error in picking the same eleven once again? No, not at all. I, you can't say they were tired. I don't think they were tired at all. Um, yeah, since the turn of the year, the year they've had a nice sunny trip to Dubai. They've had. A week in between games, they've had plenty of time to rest and recover. I don't think that was an issue last night. I think they were trying to figure out how to go against this Porto side. And you mentioned, you talk about Erdegaard. I don't think I've seen Erdegaard so deep all season. He was almost playing alongside Declan Rice uh, so far back because he was desperate to get on the ball and desperate to do something. Usually, we know we can feed him the ball. He picks up the ball in between the lines. And that's where we get our success. Well, they blocked that. So he tried to figure out another way of playing. Um, and, and look, it didn't work. For Kivior, look, he, he's coming. He's done a great job. I mean, left-back's been a problem area all season. You know, I spoke to Arteta at the start of the season. When he signed Julian Timber, he was a big, big signing. This was a player that Arteta looked at as a huge part of where Arsenal were going to go this season. And he was devastated when he picked up the injury. We know what we get with Alex Zinchenko. Some good games, some bad games. He's good when he moves into that midfield area. Uh, is he the finished article? I still, I think everybody's probably a bit unsure about him. Tommy Asu played in that position, injured as well. So for a fourth choice left back to come in, who's a centre back, to play that way, for Arsenal to adapt and then shift Ben White into that hybrid fullback position, showed that they're adjusting, they're adapting to Jakub Kivior and what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. Um, but look, I, I don't think you could be critical about Arteta's selection. Do I think Jorginho could have played? Maybe. Did it make a difference? No. Uh, ultimately, we had 70% of the ball pretty much. So Arteta's gone into that game knowing we're going to dominate possession. We don't really need necessarily a Jorginho in there. Let's have some proper ball-playing midfielders. The problem, I think, Havertz, Trossard struggled to get in the game. You mentioned about chucking the ball out to Martinelli. Martinelli really struggled last night. Um, it was just a difficult, difficult team to play against, difficult performance. I don't think I'm going to read too much into it. And we move on. I mean, we've got second leg, it's half time. Uh, three weeks' time, they've got to play at the Emirates. And it's a different beast. It's a different beast in the evening. I don't think they've got hope in hell myself. I, you're going to get clipped, just a heads up. <laughs> if, we, <laughs> if we go out, you're getting clipped. It's fine, no problem. We'll do a little bit of audience engagement with that. And I know with the benefit of hindsight, it's really easy to, to look back and say, I would have done this differently. But. Try and put your minds back for a second to where your head was before the game against Porto. Just by a show of hands, who wanted to see the same lineup that played against Burnley? So no changes. Just with a show of hands, be brave. Oh, it's okay. And those that didn't wanted to see some one or more. So I think maybe slightly more in favour of a change. And but pretty split. Tim, where do you sit with this one? I, I think the only 
like particular change there could have been is the only substitution that was made on the night, which was for Jorginho. Um, what does that say? It says something about the team. I mean, it says something about maybe the injuries we've got at the moment and some of the guys who are on the bench that are, are not trusted and not longed for this club. But like, I really think, at the risk of making excuses, the pitch is quite underplayed because even when Jorginho... Like, when Erdegaard is miscontrolling the ball and Jorginho's passing the ball out of play, there's something wrong with the pitch, I think. You're going to be um, that guy. <laughs> I am going to be that guy. But at the same time, like, uh, like we, we could have played Jorginho. Like, I, I don't have massively strong feelings about that, to be honest. Like, we, we could have, and, and, and I think we maybe would have been fine with that. But at the same time, like, the easiest analysis in the world is to say that like the players that are injured would have made a difference. So let's do that. Um, I really, really think Gabriel Jesus would have made a massive difference because Leandro Trossard is really, really good at that false nine role, but he wants the ball to find him. Gabriel Jesus goes and finds the ball, and I think this was a go and find the ball game. And I also think what Zinchenko does is enormously underrated. There is a reason that nobody else can do that role. Even Ben White, who I love and adore, doesn't do it like Zinchenko does. And just try and roll over in your mind. Who else in world football does what Zinchenko does? Like, plays two positions at the same time. It's hard. That is really, really hard to do. And I think we miss that, particularly with the pitch, because... I felt like it was a short pass pitch. It was a Rondo's, you know, let's have this guy who has 100 touches and ships the ball five yards. Like, I felt like it was that kind of pitch. And I do feel like we missed those two players. And also, not least, because the three players in our squad who have Champions League knockout experience are Jorginho, who didn't start, Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus, who were injured. And so maybe it was an oversight to leave Jorginho out because of that but you're right it was the only change really I mean I, there wasn't people campaigning for Smith Road to start really or Fabio Vieira to come straight back in or sweet heaven to get involved um, but I think that <laughs> it's just great isn't it sweet heaven on the bench amazing I love that you find it funnier than anybody I love else it. though it's incredible <laughs> I love it I really do it's just I'll be very honest Hush who's my editor who's sitting over there actually did come up with that first and I stole it from him <laughs> he should have put your name in brackets at the bottom of the tweet the only reason I'm saying it is because he's there yeah. <laughs> but no I think that in terms of that depth there is so much to return there's so many more players and hopefully by that next game we will have those players back you know Timber who knows could be here Partey is, is out on the grass I was there at, um, Col no not Colney the Sober Realty yes the Sober Realty training centre I was there in the week and Partey was there he was kicking Cedric um, and trust he was kicking Cedric genuinely and um, looked much better they didn't want to take the risk with him for this game and I don't blame them for that and we want to see him back as soon as possible because we know the value he brings to the pitch but I think with Zinchenko as Tim was pointing out that presence at the Emirates will be massive for us if indeed he is back and there's still not really too much clarity about when we might get him back at the moment which is a bit of a worry um, I don't want to linger too much longer, although I've realised there's, there's a couple more slides on Porto, actually. Um, there's one on Newcastle, believe it or not. We, we will get there. But in defence, Saliba, I thought, was suspect 
a little bit. It's a bit controversial to say, right? Because we've been so assured by Saliba. But there was that moment where Galeno does something I've never seen before, <laughs> where he somehow hits one post and has a f effectively the easiest shot on goal. I know it's another volley, so it's the technique, but he misses it. But Saliba was standing still. And I remember, Laura, there's been a couple of games in 2024 where he's just looked a little bit... Not, I don't want to say out of his depth, I think that's really harsh. I won't say horrendous. Um, I know you like that word, but I'm not going to go as far as saying horrendous. But how would you look at Saliba at the moment? Is he really appreciating Gabriel next to him right now? Am I allowed to say horrendous? Or you can say horrendous no. if you want to say horrendous. Um, I, I think there's been a couple of incidents in, in the past couple of games. Uh, the one that you're, you're talking about, in fairness, he is in the wrong position, but there should be a shout from either the goalie or Ben White. Um, and I think there's been a couple where, yeah, as you say, Gabrielle is just doing the silent work of, you know, keeping the, that, that sort of defence in position. Um, Saliba still, for me, is so good on the kind of like one-to-ones. And there were a couple of um, opportunities last night where he sort of won the ball back. But I'd say for a, a player of his quality, it's like very much a blip. I can't, I, I don't want to read too much into it. I think quite a few of them last night had difficult games, but... I'd like to think it's not representative of the kind of where he is as a player. It's just, it can happen for a couple of games and I fully expect him to kind of put in a really good performance at the weekend because he's going to need to. Can I just say on Saliba, I think, you know, we've been saying about the, the change that we've made. James mentioned it earlier. Kivior now playing more like a defender, coming inside and being the left centre-back when White comes in. What that means is Saliba's gone from being the central one when we're in that back three to now being the one on the right. And the one on the right is going to be more exposed than the guy in the middle that has two players around him. And, you know, we, we've always looked at Gabriel in the past and gone, you know, he looks like the suspect one. Well, that's because he was covering Zinchenko's area as well. And now Saliba has to cover the right back's area because the right back's going in field. So there's a bit of adaptation there. You know, it's not... Just White playing a new role. He's not Kivior playing a new role. He's Saliba as well. And that's why, yeah, I watched him last night. And, and even right at the beginning of the West Ham game, before we found the breakthrough, there were a couple of moments where I went, that's not quite like Saliba. But I think we have to factor in that he's playing a different role now. I think it's an excellent point. Um, because if anything, what it does is it highlights how good Gabriel is. Because he's been playing that role on the left. And having to cover two positions for so long in this Arteta system, and now Saliba's just having to do it for the first time, really. So, yeah, excellent point. Uh, we started with that same 11, and James Leonard Trossard was up front. The first game he has started at centre-forward that Arsenal have lost. He's played 10 games there. Started, sorry. Started 10 games at centre-forward. He's won nine of those. Now it's 11. He's lost one. He's drawn one. And I thought he was very quiet. Again, is that more down to Porto? Was it an off game? And does there need to be question marks about what we do in the future with this centre-forward role? Oh, let's not go too far into the future. It's one game. Transfers. We love transfers. Come on. Come on. It's one, one game. Um, Harry Bolloway spot on with Saliba. I mean, literally the first moment of the game, I think there was an attack down that side and he got caught out straight away. And I think straight away his just head went a little bit. The thing with Saliba, we've got to remember, he's very young. And we don't, because we see him play, we see how he plays, we don't think he's a young player because he doesn't play like that. He plays like a 30-year-old who's been playing the game for 15 years, but he's young. And we've got to remember that. And actually, we need to just give him a little bit of time. On Gabriel, I think, I mean, last season, 
I was his biggest fan. I think he's stepped up after the World Cup. I think he's been our most improved player. I think he's absolutely solid. I think he's superb. He epitomises everything that's good about this Arsenal team, in my opinion. Um, but as regards Trossard, look, we couldn't get the ball in between the lines. And we mentioned it before. If you look at Porto's line, they defended really high. We struggled to get the ball over the top. Maybe that was something we needed to be better at and better quality passing over, as you mentioned earlier, Laura, to the left, to Martinelli. But we couldn't get the ball in between the lines. It wasn't just Trossard. Havertz didn't get on the ball. Erdegaard had to come deep. It's just the nature of it. I don't think we can slam Trossard for that. I think Tim made a great point. Gabriel Jesus was the biggest miss last night. European experience, chasing that ball, putting defenders under pressure. That's where we missed out last night, in my opinion, because in those games... We need something different. And Gabriel Jesus is that different player that we've got in our ranks. Um, but look, let's not be harsh on Trossard. What, what's the record? 11 games, nine wins, starting yep. the centre forward. Yep. Give him a break, <laughs> Tom. I've Jeez. just got to ask the questions. Uh, that's all I can Goodness do is like, I've just got to ask the questions. Sounds like you've got an agenda, Tom. It does. <laughs> if I said that on Sky, that's what I'd be accused of as well. Look, just because you look best holding the microphone, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Tim... The centre forward position, you've been incredibly complimentary of, of Jesus. You've seen him a lot more than we have prior to him coming to Arsenal as well. But Arsenal fans, I know plenty of fans in this room, will be thinking to the summer and thinking that centre forward position is something they would like to see invested in. But is Jesus, in some ways, the template for the type of centre forward that Arteta needs for his system? Or do the Tonys, the Ozymens of this world, take us that next level in more of a traditional manner? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question because when Man City got Haaland, if you think about before, like that little interim period between Aguero and Haaland, Man City kind of did what we're doing now, where they had that like carousel of false nines and like no one really knew who was up front, and they still won the league doing that. But then they bought Haaland, and it was like this player is so good, we will change our whole style of play for him, which they've done pretty successfully it took them half a season but like he was of that quality where someone like Pep Guardiola was willing to say I will change what my team does to serve this guy can Arsenal get that guy in the transfer market I'm not convinced if we can great brilliant I'm all for it but I think what's more likely for me I'd just like to see another forward I'd, I'd maybe like to just see an upgrade on one or both of Nelson and Inketia. Just another 10 to 15 goal a season forward, I think is more likely to happen for us. So, like, even last night, like, we didn't sub any of the front five, really. Well, no, we took Trossard off, didn't we? For, but, like, we didn't really change the front four at all. I'd really like, even if it's in one of the wide positions, to be able to bring someone like Saka or Martinelli off and say, okay, this doesn't have to be like, you know, a requiem for your Arsenal future. It's just not happening for you tonight. We'll bring on this guy. And I don't think Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah, for example, are quite that guy that I, I think more realistically, that's where we're going to see the change. Don't get me wrong. If the next Haaland's out there and we can get him, brilliant. But I think that's probably unlikely. Now, listeners, you'll know that I like high vocabulary words, okay? Now, Tim has used the word cadence and requiem this evening. I don't know what they mean. 
That's that's the literature degree paying for itself. Right there. <laughs> I, I, th I love it. We'll have a TGTism on the show, of course, but I'm gonna have to get the dictionary out when I get home for sure. But yeah, fantastic stuff. This was the re this was the uh, reaction of Cedric and Vieira on the bench uh, when Porto scored. This is gonna be the, kind of the last point. Don't worry, we're gonna move on to more positive things after this. But Harry, did we need to be more savvy at the end of that game? One hundred percent. I mean, not, not the most exciting question, but an obvious one. If, if you looked up the word naive in one of those online dictionaries where there's like pictures and stuff, there'd be a picture of, of the Arsenal team slumped after that goal. It, I, I've had a lot of stick today for saying that I think there was a catalogue of errors. We gave the ball away two or three times, didn't we, in the space of a minute um, when you should be, as Declan Rice put it after the game, looking up at the clock, seeing the time and saying, no, let's just get out of here with the nil-nil. I actually think David Raya was partly to blame for the goal do as well. I now, do. this is interesting because I, I think maybe he hurried a little bit. So, but uh, watching it back again, and I, I, I admit I didn't feel this at the time when the goal went in. I just thought, bloody hell, what a strike that is. But watching it back again, he's obviously in a quite advanced position and that is part of what he's asked to do, right? He's always got to be on his toes, come up and clean out anything that comes over the top of the defence. That's what his role is. So the position I don't really have a problem with. When the shot comes in, though, if you watch it back again, rather than taking a step to his left and then launching into the dive, that's where you need to see the quick footwork from a goalkeeper. You know, recognise where you are, take that quick step and then launch into the dive. He just launches into the dive. And he has no idea where his far post is. And he's launched into the dive, hoping that he's going to get there. Now, there's a great curl on the shot. I'm not saying it wasn't a good effort. It was. I think but, it's unsavable. Is that just no, me? I, I, think, I think a top elite goalkeeper with the Tim's best nodding. footwork. You agree? With Alisson, for example, takes that extra step and then makes the dive. I, I agree with Harry. Like, th this isn't great analysis, sorry, but the goal looks weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> because, because it doesn't go in the top. In fact, like, it barely bounces before it gets in the net. And that's why I think people are critical because it looks odd. And I think you're exactly right. Like, he launches straight away rather than having that little shuffle and then going. Yeah, at the time. I don't think he's getting anywhere near it because he's not tall enough. I think even if he was actually in position, he's he has just massive not hands, though. Just, it's in his but hands. He's not tall enough. He's yeah, but he's got enough. like four inches on his hands. <laughs> that came across weird, didn't it? No, I mean, it, it, Laura, when it comes to that, what Harry and Tim are saying about he takes the step first, I'm with you. I agree that I think that. It's just the curl on that effort is so perfect that he's not going to reach it. The only thing I'd say is I actually agree with him that it was quite weird to watch because I think this shot actually went quite slowly. Um, and when it actually sort of bounced at the bottom of the goal, I was like, oh, oh my God, they, they've scored. It's just, it's quite weird. And he's a long way out. And it's a, obviously, if you look at the camera angle, you know, it's going right outside the post and it curls. I just think if, if David Rye is even a couple of feet back, he's still not getting it because he's just not, he is not tall enough and he's not big enough physical human to get there um and i think as, as you guys have said he's the I last he he's the doesn't last watch this show if he watches this he's a thing yeah, really David, sure. grow a bit please <laughs> and then we'll win the league james yeah the weird thing is that this the word weird keeps yeah coming but up. the description of weird usually if i see someone use a description of something being weird i'll be like do your fucking homework it's pathetic <laughs> but you're right and I think watching it, and I think if we all watched it, it was, it, it, it was weird. Unless anyone's got a better word. 
please shout it because he Any can't suge- use Tim, you love a word. Come on. The, the, my literature degree won't stretch to this. I'm Great. <laughs> weird is all Brilliant. I've got. Cheers, Tim. We needed you then. Um, I, I think we are very quick to point fingers at David Raya when something is slightly off. And I'm talking about the tiniest thing. The, prob- the person who's fault, first of all, was Martinelli giving the ball away. Naive. Secondly, our hero, Declan Rice, didn't close down the player striking the ball. That was our next problem. Yeah. And then was Raya caught out? Maybe. Maybe a tiny bit, but not much. Come on, there's a hell of a strike. If you watch it from behind, the bend on that shot uh, was unbelievable. Fair play, fair point about the footwork, maybe, but I think we're being heavily critical. I, I, I'm sure, I don't know if Tim that. agrees, I don't want to speak Fire. to Tim, but I'm not, say, I'm not saying that it's a massive, glaring, obvious error. I just think the very best goalkeepers are better on their feet and make that move and don't get caught by surprise. They're prepared for the potential of a shot coming in. And it feels like David Raya sees the ball coming in. If you watch it in slow-mo and you pause it, the ball is more than halfway towards the goal before Raya reacts. Whereas a top, top goalkeeper, I think, reacts a bit quicker, takes that step, Is and that maybe makes his vision it. was blocked. Well, though. no, look, mm. I've, I've defended Arteta with the whole Raya thing, so I'm not looking for a reason to... I'm not saying Ramsdale should play on Saturday because of that. Are you sure? I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, I, I do think if, you, if you're nitpicking, it is a bit of an error. Shall we do a vote? Yes. Yeah. Show of hands. Who blames David Raya for the shot? We'll do that first. Then the second vote will be... Is it just a brilliant effort? So, show of hands, do you blame David Raya for this goal? Oh, and hands up, you I think it's well just an amazing strike. Oh, Thank you for guys. listening to the Gunnar Talk Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Lucky boys. It's a democracy. <laughs> no, I, I take your points on board. I think from my perspective, I'm just quite resistant now to the finger pointing towards Raya. And I know that's not what you were doing. But like what you were saying, there's, there's, there's such an eagerness at the moment to, to point yeah. Raya. And look, I don't agree with the way in which the Raya Ramsdale thing has been handled in its entirety. I think we've brought in a goalkeeper that is, in my opinion, better than Ramsdale. And I think that he is going to take us further in that position than Ramsdale. And I think that Ramsdale should have played the Champions League group stage games, personally. I think that would have helped the transition. I think that would have lessened the talk around it as well. And I still don't think it would have taken enough games away from Raya that he wouldn't have bedded in. You know, Tom, when you say lessen the talk, Mick Arteta doesn't give a shit about the talk. <laughs> in all seriousness, Mick Arteta cares about the one, two, three percent extra that David Raya might bring compared to Aaron Ramsdale. That's all that Mick Arteta is looking for. That's the only reason why he signed David Raya. Is Aaron Ramsdale a bad keeper? Absolutely not. He was superb last season for us. There's a big reason why we came so close to winning that title. But Mikel Teta sees the gap with Man City and goes, right, I've got to claw back, what was it, three points, four points, two points, something like that. I don't know. I've put last season behind me now. But he looks and goes, how do we do that? And he looks and sees goalkeeper, how can I improve that? And he sees an extra few points in David Raya. To us, that might seem minuscule and nothing. To him, that's the difference between potentially coming second and winning a Premier League trophy. And he sticks by that. He doesn't care about the noise. He doesn't care who he upsets. He's proved that in his time since arriving at Arsenal. And I, I for one, personally believe we're in a good position right now because, and he said this to me at the start of the season, remember Courtois at Real Madrid, done his ACL, 
preseason or first game of season. He said, if that happens to Aaron Ramsdale, so imagine last season, guys, Aaron Ramsdale does his ACL. Who goes in goal? Runison. Runison. Matt Turner. Look what happened when Matt Turner went in goal. We had an absolute disaster. And he said, this is why we need two top quality goalkeepers who play the way we need, I need us to play, is what he said to me. And he's spot on. And we are going to all support Aaron Ramsay. He's English. He's British. He's got that personality that we love so much. But if David Raya earns us an extra few points, and that's the difference between winning and losing, I'll take David Raya all day long. You know when you get called Arteta's lawyer? I think you've got to run for your money, man. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was just thinking that. I need to recruit him. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. No, but th- this is a manager that takes light bulbs into changing rooms and puts you'll never walk alone on speakers. So nobody should be surprised that he's trying to gain the smallest advantages. No, of course. Marginal gains. At the end of the day, I think you're absolutely spot on. And I think that anything that's... We want to see this team get better. I remember doing the show back in like 2017 and we were like in this purgatorial state of, of staying in and around the top four. You know, at the end of Arsene Wenger's era, Unai Emery got us to a Europa League final, of course. But again, still not really pushing to the heights that we pushed through this season. There is, it comes to a stage where, yes, I think we can be critical. Yes, we can ask some questions. But the overriding theme is that Arsenal gone in one direction and that is upwards. And I don't know about you guys, but I am still very confident that when we go to play Porto against the Emirates, that we are going to be much, much better. Yes, his record at home in European competitions is something I know is going to be in people's minds. But, you know, this is, he's won three Champions League ties at home this season. I think we've scored 11 goals in, that, in those three games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you look in the group stage, away from home, we took four points out of nine. And that severe game, I mean, that aged me. Um, I, I swear I looked 25 before that, and that was the one we won. So, like, Lons and, and PSV, PSV, I don't remember, to be fair. Um, but, like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's... That was really well-timed. The timing I mean, was impeccable. <laughs> wow. I nearly drew then. Uh, so, yeah, like, clearly there's a massive divergence between our home and away results in Europe, and, you know, fingers crossed that continues. Indeed. Um, the next game is, is Newcastle at home, which is in two days, which is such a short space of time, not only to face a very, you know, they're not as good as what they were last season, Laura, Newcastle, but they're still very dangerous. They've got a lot of quality players and they've had a week to rest. We're coming back from Portugal. They would have got back today. They'll have a training session on Friday, which will mostly be about recovery. They might not even get much training in, the way in which I know that how the training system works. But Saturday then is the game at 8pm. How are you feeling going into that after what we've seen on Wednesday? A little bit nervous. A little bit nervous because I think, um, as we were saying, Eddie Howe's going to be looking at Porto and going, this is how we, this is how we beat Arsenal. Um, they obviously did it at the Emirates last year in terms of setting up to come to the Emirates, to stink it out, to spend, you know, 50% of the time on the floor. Um, and I think Arsenal will be, you know, potentially tired. Um, I think the crowd is going to be really, really important. Um, obviously, at St. James's Park, they have that same sort of thing, but we will basically have to be howling for every decision. Um, and we are maybe a little bit under pressure with obviously Liverpool and City winning midweek. So it really kind of feels like, you know, this is this is a very, very big game for us. It's one that I think from a purely fan perspective, I'd absolutely love to just smash Newcastle. Um, they're sort of, 
you know, they they think they're amongst the big boys now because they've got the money um, and that you know they're back in the big time. Um, and I think we just need to put them in their place. But ultimately, coming off the back of last night, I, I do think we need to be slightly wary of how the players are feeling. Um, they're not going to roll over like West Ham and Burnley did. So we'll go into a Premier League game unlikely to have our way in the same, same way that we have the past couple of games. Even the Liverpool game, you know, we've been dominant at home um, for many games, you know, five, six games, even, you know, as far back as the Villa game where we went away, we were still really dominant. Um, this could be a slightly different type of type of game, a lot more kind of gritty. Um, the players showed last night that they're maybe not quite you know, not quite used to that yet. So they're going to have to, you know, adapt and go again. But I'm feeling nervous, but only because I hate Newcastle. I've really got this like burning hatred of them this season. So it's more just the, the fact that it's a big game. They'll want to kind of prove something to us again. Um, and it means obviously a lot with City and Liverpool winning that we just got to keep keep the pace. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't want to see Eddie Howe doing this little smug little smile on the touchline at the end of it. It'll just, yeah, it'll ruin my weekend. Did I, is he smiling up? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> He's literally got that smug yeah. smile. <laughs> um, James, I asked you about, you know, Arteta not changing things ahead of this game. And three, the lineup's the same. Does Jorginho now come into this game because of the need, I think, to rotate, having played so such a short time ago? We don't know who is going to be available, who is obviously trained. We know Thomas Partey has been in training this week and, and at the end of last week as well, but we don't know how ready he's going to be. Mikel Arteta's press conference is, of course, tomorrow is the time we record this. How do you feel about what changes might need to be made just to keep the energy up? Yeah, not, not, I mean, it's, it's always difficult after a European away fixture. We know that. It's not, not as easy to recover. I, I don't particularly think the players used up too much energy last night. Really, they only played 50 minutes, so... That's all right. Um, and, I mean, that's a joke, but in all seriousness, it's probably... The ball was only in play for 50 it. minutes, yeah. yeah. Ran around 50, and we had the ball for 70% of that. So, we didn't have the... My maths is shit, so someone have to work it out, but we didn't have the ball for that much. Um, Newcastle, 35, I wish... 35 minutes, is that right? Yeah. There we go, right? So it's, it's, it's not a lot. I just had to... Ad- I'm glad. That's why I was giving you the time to work it out. Um, (laughs) Look, uh, like you said, I hope we smash them. I hope we give them something after what they did to us at St. James's Park. If I'm honest with you, I want to see us be pretty physical with them. I think we need to fight fire with fire a little bit more. Uh, We shouldn't be bullied like I think we were a little bit at St. James's Park, and I didn't like it. And I think they'd have learned from that. This is what we're seeing with Mikel Teta's side, that they're learning from experiences. I think changes-wise, yeah, we might need to freshen it up a little bit. We haven't got a huge amount of options. Injuries is a big problem at the moment. Are you you're saying to me, will you put Jorginho in the middle? <sighs> I, I don't know. Maybe. But we're at home. And we're going to dominate possession. And Newcastle are going to do what they did last year. And they're going to sit everyone behind the ball, frustrate us. They're going to do the same. What do we need? We need maybe more forward-thinking players. Do we need Declan Rice and Jorginho? And I know you said Newcastle might be one of these sides, now elite sides. They're not, though, are they yet? They're absolutely nothing compared Pretty to good us though. right now. Are they, though, this season? Are they? They've got injuries. They're struggling. I don't believe they are. I believe they're not going to oh, come we're at losing, us. We're losing so bad now. 
Well, again, clip it up. It's fine. No problem. But um, no, I, I think we should be confident. I think we should be confident of what we've done at the Emirates Stadium recently. Um, whether he mixes things up, I just think we're really short of options right now. And that's our biggest problem. And you say about change, your own, again, we're talking about the change he did last night. Jorginho plays instead of Trossard or Havertz, right? What else does he do? I, I, I don't know. Tim? Well, in some of the games away from home against teams that play deep blocks, he has played in that left eight role like at Everton. He played Trossard, uh, sorry, Vieira. He played Trossard at Brentford. Uh, and I think he played Smith-Rowe at Nottingham Forest. So maybe there's something in that. Um, but really, I think for this game in particular, with respect to uh, T-Total Arsenal fans, there should be a four-drink minimum at the turnstile because I think it's very, very important that we do not let Newcastle junk up the game in the way that they did last time and that they and that FC Porto did. I think when we played them last time as well, we had Eddie Nketiah up front, which, which is not necessarily a criticism Eddie per se, but for that type of game when you're playing like against a deep block, having someone that just gets lost in that penalty area, maybe not, not ideal and maybe having assuming Jesus is not available, having Trossard. Again, we've seen with those proper deep blocks, like Porto didn't play a deep block, they played more of a mid block, so it, it kind of depends what Newcastle do. But really, I think there's a big onus on us as well. One of the things I think Arteta's been really, really good at during his whole time as coach is like having the chip on the shoulder. You know, like we, we often learn, like when he's asked about teams before the game he'll be like oh yeah we don't really care about that and then we go and beat them and afterwards it's like yeah we showed them video we went clockwork orange and <laughs> we showed them videos of the last game and like we made them hate that team like I wouldn't be surprised if that happens this time like tomorrow in his pre-match press conference it'll be like yeah we don't we're not after revenge and stuff and we beat them 3-0 on Saturday night, and they'll be like, yeah, I made them stay up till 6 o'clock in the morning watching the last game. Like, I, I do think there's an element of that in there as well. No, I think you're spot on. And it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, to, I, I guess, deal with the fact that we know, Harry, that Newcastle are going to do probably what they did and what Porto did against us, where they're going to try and chop the game up or junk the game up. Is that what you said, too? I love that phrase. That's great. Um, and I think that when it comes to looking at specifically Newcastle's threat and the attacking players that have hurt us in the past and Gimaraes, who somehow avoided a yellow card in his last two games, which would have seen him suspended had he have been booked, which is incredibly frustrating... But also, I remember when Dan Byrne was at left-back and just kind of shut Saka down so much on that left-back. And Saka looked very shut down against Porto you know, last night as well. And I think that our wide areas, obviously, are going to be really key in us getting a result. But how do you, to, to round this section off, kind of see us trying to combat what Newcastle provide? I think it'll be pretty much more of what we've seen recently, pushing the two number eights into the front line as much as possible, trying to occupy as many of their back line as possible. And hoping that you can you can make runs from deeper areas and get into the spaces that you need to. I agree with you, Laura, on, on the whole Newcastle thing. When I was growing up, I actually looked at Newcastle and thought, I quite like them. Kevin Keegan hates Man United. I hate Man United. Like this is this is fine. But ever since Eddie Howe's taken over, I've got this huge dislike for them. It's just that look. It? It's that look. But do you know what's even worse than him? Do you know what's even worse than him? His assistant, Tyndall. Yeah. Oh. He's even worse. But who does he think he is? Like, 
I, I, honestly, I've got this really bad, irrational dislike for, for Newcastle United. And I would love nothing more than to get a 96-minute winner off of Gabriel's backside and beat them. <laughs> and watch the Emirates just erupt and then Eddie Howe having to stand there and, and take it all in. Oh, but back to, your, back to your actual question. Of nil -nil, that'd be awful. <laughs> back to your actual <laughs> question, uh, I think you're about, you're about to launch into uh, I would love it. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm on a rant. I'm going to go on a rant. But no, but well, back to your question, though. <laughs> It is about it is about <laughs> overloading the right areas. It is about using runners. We're going to have to be patient. Um, the calls for Jorginho to come back in the team, not for me, not in this game. I think it, it's the right thing to do when you really, really respect the opposition, like we did against Liverpool. Jorginho didn't play as the six that day. He played slightly to the left of, of Rice and he protected the left back quite a bit. And also, you know, with it, you know, in the second half, especially when we didn't have... Uh, Zinchenko in the side, he was able to progress the ball from that area. But it was mainly designed, in my opinion, to prevent us getting caught out on the break. Mm. And I don't think you're going to have to worry about that as much against Newcastle as you do against Liverpool. So for me, Jorginho wouldn't start this one. Interesting. Uh, we'll probably continue the Newcastle chat in part two when we're going to take some of your questions as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in back for the second part. I'm talking as if I'm on the camera still. This is weird. <laughs> um, thank is it working? Is it working? Do I sound like a chipmunk again? <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you so much everyone that bought tickets um, if you're sneaky you might be able to go over and grab some while we're live if you forgot during the break um, but we'll be drawing those out in the second or the end of the second part um, but we're going to move to the Q&A section uh, so thank you for those that have sent in your tweets you can still send them in if you haven't done so already um, we're going to start now I haven't vetted these so <laughs> it's more fun that way this could be dangerous this part might not go out on the channel. <laughs> um, let's go to uh, Zed Tom. Where's Zed Tom? In the room. Uh, Harry's going to you. I really like the complimentary of Jorginho and Rice as a midfield pairing and would like to see them against Newcastle. If they do, who would you rather see up front? Trossard, Havertz, Eddie or, wait for it, Cedric? <laughs> Thank you, Tom. It's to you, mate. It's to me, okay. <laughs> At least he's listening. Uh, I was listening. I just didn't know it was to be. Um, okay, so which one would I go with up front? I think, I know you talked about his record and it being really, really good. It is really good. But I think I lean towards Havertz in a lot of games because of that physical stature. And I think it gives you a different option. I think the link-up play is there with Havertz. I think the aerial threat is there that you don't get with Trossard. The only thing is I think Trossard's a better finisher, but I don't think our centre-forward that often is the one that ends up in the position to finish a chance. I think 
the, the centre forward for Arsenal in this kind of system is more often a facilitator than the guy that finishes off the goals. If you look at Jesus last season, I know he was injured for a period, and even this season, it's Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, where the goals come from. And that type of player for us is the one that opens the door for people. And I think Havertz maybe offers a bit more of that. So that's my choice. But I know that would be controversial. No, fair enough. Respect it. Um, let's go to Laura with this one. F1 and Arsenal says, uh, how, Laura, do we make the Emirates more hostile? Oh, I see why he's asked this question. Market <laughs> research. <laughs> how do we make the Emirates more hostile slash intimidating slash a fortress atmosphere-wise? Hashtag asking for a friend. <laughs> That's a good question. In terms of making it more hostile, it, it just needs to be a more constant barrage of sound. So at the moment, it kind of peaks and, and, and we get really loud and we sing for five minutes and then we all sit down again. Um, and then Martin Odegaard waves his arms a bit and we all stand up again. Um, I think the... I'm not going to go into the kind of alloc- allocation of the sort of Ashburton army crew, but ultimately they do make a difference because once the clock end starts singing, it very quickly goes around the rest of the stadium and they're constantly singing, whereas the rest of the kind of the ground is led by maybe a couple of groups here and there who start a chant, we do the chant, and then we kind of sit down again. So there's, there's something in keeping it a more consistent, high level of intensity. One thing I would say is that the, I think the big games this season have been really good, atmosphere-wise. I think the Liverpool game was you know, enormous, but there, ha- there usually needs to be something that kind of kicks off the, like, next level so whether that's a big tackle or something and then whether it is Martin Odegaard waving his arms around we kind of reach that next level um in terms of having the like displays as well I know that's really really when we're kicking off and you can see the banners that really helps as well um but ultimately it's just having the right kind of base level all the time and I think the way that that is setting the tone is just having Ashburton army kind of start and then everyone just just follows but I think it has been better this, like for the big games this season, um, but there is probably still more more things we can do. But keep the WWE coming because I love guessing who it is. My brother and I are like, right, this is the Rock, or you know, this is Steve, you know, etc. So big, big fan, big fan, big, big fan. <laughs> that used to that used to be my Sunday mornings watching WWE. So yeah, very big fan. Um, Four well, drink minimum. I'm still sticking. With <laughs> do you know what the other thing as well is? I wish that people wouldn't all disappear 10 minutes before half time yeah, but they and then come out. I, I know sometimes like, there's people, you, you need to go to the, the gents, you've got to go, right? But I feel like there's been a lot of games where we've had a big sort of a lot of, at stake and the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half is just flat because people are still making their way in. Pre-pouring. So, yeah, something has to happen that Four makes... Four drink minimum. There we go. And then, <laughs> and then pre-pouring. Don't need to leave on 35 minutes for another pint. That's it. Something needs to happen inside to make it quicker for people that when they do go in, that they can come out quicker. Because that first 10 minutes of a second half, it can be a little bit flat. And that's no one's fault. If you've gone to get a drink and you're waiting for 20 minutes, it's annoying. But I think if if something could be done to address that, I think that would help the atmosphere a lot. Fair enough. Uh, This one from Grant Lipoos, who says, uh, Tom and the intelligent panel, other than... Uh, <laughs> rate Arteta's tenure out of 10 point. <laughs> rate Arteta's tenure out of 10 yes I, I mean I'd give it a good 8.5 or 9 if you'd have asked me that question three and a half years ago <laughs> yeah. it you know it might have been in the fives or fours but I mean put it this way when he took over 
in December 2019, if someone would have told you this is this is where we are in you know early 2024 that we finish second and we compete for the title, we go back and do it again. Like who in their right mind would not have taken that? Everyone would have taken that. And I think when you consider the level of the opposition as well, and um, you know, like to 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 compete with opposition that I mean. This is a level we haven't been at for 20 years, basically. And to hire a first-time coach to bring us back to that level, that's not me saying he's perfect or that everything has been perfect. But, yeah, I think it's a straight 8.5, 9 out of 10. No problem for me. Fair enough. Yeah, I've, I've always said around 8, 8.5. I think, you know, we want to see the trophies. We want to see the deliverance. And, look, this team, what he's done deserves that. We need to see something. That His lawyer will give him eleven. Which I'm one? Sure, but <laughs> oh, I would. <laughs> I would. I'm having a night off. James is taking over. Come on. I mean, what's there to complain about? Seriously, does anyone have any complaints about Mikel Arteta? This is like a phone-in show, isn't no, no, it? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, go for it. So with Arteta, right? I obviously am a big fan, and like you said, he's clearly, we've clearly gone up his trajectory since mm. being at the club. However, if we go trophy for the season. By the way, considering the community we have here, brave to ask that question <laughs> and I respect that James no, would you like to speak for your client <laughs> <laughs> yeah bouncer get him out get him out um, look everyone's entitled to their opinions that's why football's so special we, if we all thought the same way it'd be absolutely boring and ultimately nobody would watch Sky Sports News and I wouldn't have a job uh, look we're competing for the Champions League and the Premier League there are two trophies right remaining we can leak up. I don't think we're really that fussed when we come in that close to a Premier League title. FA Cup, fine. These things happen. The Premier League is so difficult to win. It's beyond difficult. It's harder than it's ever been. Even back with our glory days, the early 2000s, there was us and Man United. There wasn't anybody else. Let's be realistic about that. 98, 202, 204. Us and Man United, that was it. Now there is City, there is Liverpool, and there are a few other clubs dotted around that try and just knock on the door every now and again. I just think if we're really putting just our sole focus on the trophies, then I think we're in a dangerous precedent. I think we've got to look at the job that Arteta's done. I mean, Tim spoke about it perfectly well uh, back in 2019. Would we ever expect to be in the position where we're in now? No. Our, our club was a mess. Let's be let's be real. It was a mess behind the scenes. The squad was a mess. He's had to overturn the whole entire squad. We've got a brand new squad of players, different mindsets, and look at what we're competing for now. And we're in the Champions League this season, and that's the big difference. First season back, just got to give him a bit of time. We don't know what this season's going to bring, and I hope more than anything we're going to be celebrating one of these trophies. But if we don't, I still feel we're in the right path the right trajectory forward. Well, can I, I'll rephrase it differently because I completely agree, by the way. I'm, I'm not upset about 
Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> What's on the back of that shirt? Yeah, let's get a sound on a minute. <laughs> Yeah. I think you're right to have your doubts, and I think that that's, that's absolutely fair to have your doubt because we are still yet to see that tangible trophy there. Right. We've gone in one direction as a club, which is upwards, and I agree with Tim. If you'd have said where we are now when Arteta took over, I said, yeah, okay, good one. Um, and the thing is, we're coming to a point where Arteta is going to have to renew or not renew his deal. After this season, he has one year left on his contract. Now, I look at this contract coming up as the contract for me because what we've done under Arteta is put ourselves into the conversation again. This next contract that is coming up for me is the we find out the answer, whether he is the answer. If he in his next contract, but let's say it's three years, so it goes from 25 to 28 or whatever it is, sounds like a really long time, but it's four years from now, I think personally that that period he has to deliver a Premier League title or a Champions League title. And I don't think that's an unfair ask of a manager during that period. If he doesn't win a Premier League title or a Champions League title, I don't think anyone can have any complaints when someone raises the point, has he taken us as far as he can? If in those next four years, with more spending, with these players that's a young group now maturing into their prime years, their sack will be 26 come the end of that contract, 27, which is scary. Um, but I think that's probably fair to say that the next contract is the contract where he has to deliver that. But you're, you're fair to have your doubts, and I, I don't blame you for that. Can I ask who, if we get to the end of the season... This is the question! ...with no trophies, who, who else? Well, there's what, uh, gentlemen, um, I'm rightfully asking, I suppose. I mean, there's no one immediate springs to mind, but I think... Um, Jürgen? Jürgen! Jürgen! I don't know, maybe, just based on that, because someone like Zinni was down, <laughs> you take someone like Zidane, Proven winner, you know. I don't know. I'm just, see, it's hard to meddle with the project, and I think that's the trouble. I'll take, I wrote the question, and the reason why I wrote the question was I get a bit peed off on the chat with Arteta's out and things like that. I'm really not a fan. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> 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 I see you sort of escalator, and I remember four years ago, you know, the two eights and the, you know, the dross that we put out. And the fact that we were constantly running players down for the last year of the contract. Mm. Um, and now it seems to be a lot of positivity. But then I look at last night and think, well, Arteta's got a lot to learn. You know, but that's his inexperience. So I agree with that, you've got time to say. I think the next four years is, is where we should be starting to demand something. Mm. And I was just interested in what the panel had to say. No. Yeah. Kyle uh, asked the question to Tim, uh, if we bought Neto and Isaac, would that make us title winners? I mean, possibly, yeah. Like I said in the first half, I don't think Erling Haaland is out there for us, unfortunately. I think we need at least one more attacker who can at least either make or score 10, 15 goals a season. So essentially, I'm thinking upgrade on Nelson in Ketia. Whether it's Pedro Neto, his injury history makes me slightly nervous. Like, I feel like we've bought some players with slightly suspect injury histories. We've also bought players with no suspect injury well, injuries, yeah. and they've got injured. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, would you take Tony? But, like, personally, no. The reason I wouldn't take 
Tony is because in Havertz, I kind of think we already have that option. And I think if you're going to spend the money that like Brentford will want on someone like Ivan Tony, he has to be your main man. He can't be your plan B, we're 1-0 down away at Aston Villa on 80 minutes. Like You have to build your team around the, like, the guy that would... If we could get him for 20 million... We ain't going to get him for yeah. 20 million. I'd but, take but him he's only got a year day left long, All day long, but not for the money that Brentford will want, personally. I also think there's just this kind of thing that we do as fans where, like, when we don't score a goal, we're a bit like, I just want a massive dude to whack the ball up to. And I, I, I kind of think in Havertz, we kind of already have that. I, d I don't think there's enough there to go... Right, let's spend spend big on this guy, personally. I agree with that. Yes, um, I think with the striker situation, it's. I look at the market and I just think there's not, for me, like such an obvious candidate for us to go for. Like in the summer, Declan Rice and Moises Caicedo were the the two midfield clear and obvious um, kind of targets that we would look to go for. Um, and, we, and we got that in Declan Rice. I think we got the better of the time. I think, you know, look at Kaiseido this season. We've definitely got the right player. And I just don't see that this time around with another really important position. And so I question myself and I think, do you then go for that? Do you then find somebody that you don't think is your Declan Rice of the centre-forward role? Last couple of questions uh, to the panel and then we'll do the, the raffle as well. Um, these are kind of a cross, so feel free to jump in and, and be quick. Uh, Albert says... Was it a necessity for you? I know we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but before going into the 23-24 season that Mikel Arteta won a trophy, especially off the back of last season's title challenge. So, so yes or no, was it a necessity? I suppose the alternative is it, if it is and he doesn't win one, he goes. If it wasn't a necessity, it means he doesn't have to win the trophy and he can stay. So, James? I'll be really quick. No. Laura? No. No for me. Harry? No, and, and this, th there's something really quickly about the way that Arteta has made us feel about our club again that has huge value for me. Like when I used to go and watch Emery's team, there were times where I was like, oh, I don't know if I've got the stomach for this today. Whereas Dark days, dark, you know, dark days. Yeah, yeah w with Arteta, you feel like you're always going to get commitment. There's always going to be a better atmosphere. The mood generally is much better. You love the players, you love him, you love his passion. That has sometimes more value than silverware, in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah, yeah you clap. You clap. <laughs> we see you. Yeah, that's it. Tim? I, I'll say this. United won the Carabao Cup last season. Would you have swapped last season what we have now with what Manchester United have at the moment? Cracking question. I think that answers the question. Would you swap last season? You <laughs> see, <laughs> I... No, I'm going to put you out of your misery. It. You are considering <laughs> it. <laughs> I just really hope this, and you guys might be saying, like this upper distraction on the left hand creates some more trophies. But I also agree with the argument that trophies is not a bit on Sometimes it could be a bit like, I mean, like last season, doesn't necessarily mean you want to We don't want to be Pochettino's Tottenham either. I agree yeah, with that. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is why 
as I say earlier, like the next contract has to be the, the contract where you deliver. Um, to each one of the panel, I'm going to lengthen out this question so you guys got time to think. Um, what has been the best goal that we have scored this season? This is from Warrior of Joy. Where's that? Who's Warrior of Joy? Thank you, mate. Um, uh, Warrior of Joy says theirs was the Declan Rice last gasp winner at Luton Town, which honestly was incredible. I was sitting on the gantry literally above where they were celebrating. It was amazing. From my perspective, my favourite goal this season, like best goal, favourite, favourite or best, favourite. I like favourite. You're spot here, aren't you? Sorry. Favourite goal. Oh, I, I loved Declan Rice against Manchester United. That was great. Um, but I'll be very honest, that my favourite goal of the season, because of what it meant, was Martinelli's against Manchester City. Because that was... That, <laughs> That goal was like just a big middle finger to Man City. Like, yeah, we are here and we can beat you and we are taking you on this season. And uh, it was the goal that delivered that. So I will go. It was also a massive dirty that. deflection as well, which is... I don't know. <laughs> that ball uh, deflected, did it? <laughs> yeah. I remember that. James, your favourite goal of this I season. mean, I don't like putting on the spot like that. Um, I lengthened that out. Yeah, plenty. I, I still, <laughs> still struggling. This is the beer. Um, I would say one of my favourites was uh, Saka versus Liverpool at home recently, a and that's more to do with the build-up. It was an Arteta goal. It was an Arteta goal, building up from the back, playing out, breaking a press, back. In the day, we used to all sit there and absolutely shit ourselves when we were playing out from the back going, oh no, here we go. We don't do that anymore. We don't. We have trust in the goalkeeper, the defenders, that they can break a press. And they proved it on that occasion. And some brilliant football. Havertz made that great run. We knew Havertz was never going to score, but, he, but, but, but give him credit. I'm not having you, that. No, <laughs> Given credit, use the goalkeeper as a deflection to knock it into Saka's path. <laughs> Fucking genius, that guy, honestly. Uh, but that was one of my favourites. And look, look, beating Man City was, um, was a real standpoint this season to say that we mean business this year. Beating Liverpool at home is exactly the same. And that's why those goals mean so much to us as fans because we're fed up of losing to City, Liverpool. But when we know we can compete with them, it shows, okay, we mean business. And we mean business this year. Regardless of what's going to happen, we're in the race. We're in the title race. We're in the Champions League. I'll tell you what, next few months are going to be exciting. Laura? Am I allowed two? Go on. Okay, I'll do this one first quickly. Uh, Declan Rice versus West Ham. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was good Just good goal. And also, he, like, you know, previously, we'd, we'd let him down. You know, we, we've lost... We'd lost twice to West Ham. He conceded a penalty, and I just thought, right, this is, you know, this is amazing. From a purely fan perspective and being in the stadium, my favourite goal is the Gabriel Jesus goal against Man United. Um, just in terms of like the, the the kind of the cutback, the whole game itself that we thought we'd lost. Um, that's you know that's one of my. Eric Ten Hag still thinks he's won that game. Yeah, he, went, it, <laughs> he will not stop mentioning it, will he? In his in his press conference. Yeah. But that is, that's, the, that's the player that we know Gabriel Jesus is. And that was the kind of, yeah, just, I just dived on the person in front of me. It was absolutely amazing. Um, Are they yeah. okay? 
<laughs> I hope they're okay. I, I, I came away worse, to be honest. I came away bruised, but we had a great time. Uh, Harry? I'm going to go with Trossard's goal against Liverpool. And nothing to do with the actual goal itself. So, you know, when you're sitting in the press box, you try to be a little bit calmer. And like, yeah, when I'm on... No. Well, <laughs> Because I'm on the radio, I can shout down my microphone and it's fine. Like, that's acceptable. And, you know, it's fine. Like, it's a big moment, whatever. The guy from BBC Merseyside next to me, when (laughs) Liverpool scored, he was banging on the desk. Like, it was mad. I've never seen anything like it. He was... And so, the reason I love the Trossard goal, I didn't celebrate the second one as much, but the reason I enjoyed the Trossard one was because I turned and looked at him. And his face was down here, and I just started banging on the desk back. <laughs> so that's why that's my favourite. Tim, you got to beat that now. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I think mine is Declan Rice at Luton, um, the last-minute winner, because uh, in the last couple of years, I've, I've got a young daughter now. I can't quite go to the same number of games I used to. And so I was watching that on TV, and uh, I won't bore you with the like, architecture of my house, but my, <laughs> my daughter was asleep just a little bit above. And so one of the skills I've had to learn in the last couple of years is the silent celebration. <laughs> and when that went in, I really, really harnessed that skill. <laughs> because I it's a hell of up, a skill, that. I ended up on the other side of the living room, <laughs> punching the air, but somehow not making a single sound the whole way through. And so for me, that goal, brilliant goal, but just like marks a lovely change in my life. That, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but there's a video of some Borussia Mönchengladbach fans and some Bayern Munich fans in the same room, and they're doing the silent watch of the game. And Gladbach score, two of these guys stand up, run across each other, and just slam into each other by accident. And I'm just falling about everywhere. And they remain silent the entire time. And also it's one incredible. of my favourite fan videos, like the, the kind of, I think the advertising hoarding collapses. I think everyone's seen that. And there's just, yeah, at Luton. And there's just one guy who's just, like, who's prone on the floor and can't get up and just start slapping <laughs> the grass, which... And I he's here tonight! Yeah. <laughs> which I think we can all relate to. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, some glorious goals. Honourable mentions, anyone that we didn't mention a goal? Sacrifice Forest. Oh, yeah, that was, that was nice as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was from like 40 yards out. Everyone forgets that goal, didn't they? Two. Eddie and Kitty's goal in Sheffield United was unbelievable. 35 yards or so out. Was it Zinchenko against, was it Burnley? Burnley, yeah. Little, yeah, like, yeah. Scissor kick. yeah, yeah, that gets an honourable There's your little reanimation there. <laughs> but no, I think there's been some great goals this season. I think we're on the right track. I think that everyone but one person in this room thinks we're on the right track. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, can we, I'm can we joking. get him? <laughs> James is going to have words afterwards. But, uh, Mate, in all seriousness, you should ask Tom for a refund. This is not fair. <laughs> No, you're all good, mate. I think um, after last night, we've had the therapy. We've talked about everything through. We've lost our careers talking about Man City. Yeah. 
We are in a good place as a club, and one result last night shouldn't change that. Five results, 21 goals, huge number of, of confidence built. And I hope that it doesn't get ruined on Saturday. I really don't think it will. I think we've got a great amount of momentum behind us. I think this team responds. Whereas you used, before, I remember, it would be like two, three, four games. We'd, we'd drop points in, in a number of sets in the season, and we now respond to games. And I really hope we see that on Saturday. Um, but what isn't as impressive as Arsenal sometimes is the amazing community that we have here. See that segue? Because um, it is brilliant. And you guys make up such a key part of, of my life. And I know that you listen to all these guys as well um, to talk about their topics on their channels and their podcasts. So first, before I thank these amazing people, I want to thank you all for coming and being such a brilliant community. So thank you. But now I will thank my panellists who have been excellent this evening. First of all, Tim Stillman, thank you so much. Mr. Harry Simeou. Thank you. Laura Go Francis. And James Green. Thank you, all of you. And for Tom as well, guys, because not only does he put together these amazing events, and then we all get to enjoy them as well when Tom does all the work. But he gets up at what time every morning? Oh, at 5 a.m.? No, oh, man. 7 a.m. about. That is committed to, to do an 8 a.m. show. Like, to, to be ready to face a camera at 8 a.m. Is, is impressive, mate. So, um, yeah, the weekend. Sometimes I see him on a Sunday. I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> Have a day off. He, he, he just doesn't. Yeah, no, I do it because it's worth it for these people. And uh, I know that sounded really soppy. What about for you, though? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the community makes it what it is. They're brilliant in the chat box. I also want to end the show by saying someone who was supposed to be here today and sadly couldn't be here today, and that's Mr. Kevin Campbell, who has sadly at the moment been very unwell. Um, and he texts me saying he is on the Met, which we're very happy to hear that he's on the Met. But I'd just like a quick round of applause, Mr. Kempton. <laughs> and we wish him and we wish Sophie as well all the best in the world, because she needs, Sophie needs a lot of support as well at the moment. So please send all your love towards them. Thank you once again. I'll be doing the raffle shortly, but if you want to go get a drink, and we'll have a two-minute break, and then we'll do the raffle prizes. So thank you all. <laughs> It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.